Hello. My name's Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio, episode number 160, the big 160. Mm -hmm. Zen Parenting Radio, it's a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 6, 9, and 10, and our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, sweetie, to become a better... You. You. Because you know what? What? It takes courage to grow up and be who you are. It takes, takes one to know one. That too, even though that's not really the same thing. Remember that used to be a burn when we were little kids? Yeah. Turn my mic up a little bit more. I feel like I'm talking to it. You told me to turn it down and now you want it up. Zen Parenting Radio. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. That's my mantra. That's my typical mantra. My other mantra. Motto. Motto. My other motto for the week, Zen Parenting Radio, home of the glitches. Yeah, we've been glitching out. Um, If you listen to us on Stitcher or iTunes, it has not pulled our most recent two shows. Um, so you have to go to our website. It will eventually. We're going to repost them. But one thing that Todd and I have prided ourselves on for 160 episodes is we've never missed a week. We've always done a show. And now we're doing two shows or at least uh, we're doing bi-monthly two more shows. Month, right? right? And we've been doing them and, you know, they're not posting on iTunes. And we won't even bore you with why because, oh, my gosh, it's been like a week of trying to figure out. Well, another reason we won't bore them is because we're still having a hard time understanding. Well, we are, but I think we're reaching a new place, right? With the help of many people, but most importantly, my friend Josh Becker. Thank you, Josh. Who has his own podcast called I Simply Am. And we're just thankful that he has more technical savvy than you and I do. And also a lot of other people have been helping us too. Right. But Josh is putting it all together. Um, So if you like this podcast, I encourage you to go to his podcast. I simply am. And if you are listening to this and you usually pull off iTunes or Stitcher or something similar to that, you can go to our Facebook page or our website and listen from there. And it'll, you know, you can do it even from your iPhone and push listen and still hear it. So, um, but we will repost them once that time comes. All right. So this is what we're talking about this week. Personal responsibility. Yeah, this is a big one. This is a big boy. It's a big boy because we have a blog that we're going to talk about, but I also want to talk about my own personal experience in the last week with my children and personal responsibility. Are you going to disagree with the blog? Not well. There's a few things. There's a few things that I may not necessarily disagree, but make sure I give it a wider lens because sometimes people get too literal. But can I jump in or you need no, to say No, definitely something? don't jump in. Oh, geez. Um, so first thing is the blog that we're going to talk about is written by the name of Kathy Caprino. I like her name, Kathy. Yeah, that's my name. But it's with a K. Mm, very different, yet still a good name. <laughs> if any of you have this experience, like your name's Katie or your name's Kathy or your name, you everybody would have to be with a T if it was Todd. You couldn't have a different letter that sounded the same. No. But you know what I mean? It doesn't work for Todd. Like if you have a name and it's spelled either with a K or a C, it feels so different when it looks the other way. Mm-hmm. Like when I see my name spelled with a K when someone does that, I'm like, I, I can't even relate to that. And I'm sure it's the same on like, the other what side. what is this name? Yeah, it doesn't look like my name, obviously, because it's not. Even though it's just one letter? Um, um, it's just what? My <laughs> phone. I got a text. <laughs> Oh, we'll read the text, sweetie. Every the, the thousands of people that listen to our show want to know what the text oh, says. Oh, no, it's nothing. You know how stand-up comedians sometimes do that? Like somebody yes. will take a call and then totally. they'll give the phone to the stand-up comedian. Totally. It's pretty funny. I know. Um, our first partner is Hunter Clark. Yes. And she has a website called HunterYoga.com. She, we're in the middle of a 28-day immersion. Daily practice. Talks about It's basically uh, yoga for moms, also with some support. And for dads. And for dads. You always say for moms, but it's really for anybody. Because I'm doing it. Yeah. And I'm not a mom. You're not. Not a lot of things I know for sure, 
but I know I'm not a mom. That's right. And this is also something I've been getting the emails too. Um, and you can, you know, get your kids involved mm. when you're doing your daily practice, have them do a downward dog with you. And her practice is very specialized, like meaning that you can decide how you want it to be. And she sends out wonderful emails and yep. it's just a nice um, virtual support system. She speaks our language. She sure does. Um, so hunteryoga.com slash zen. Yes. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And then the other thing I want to talk about uh, is that we have a virtual retreat coming up. Yeah. When is it? Um, it starts on February 5th. So actually, is that next week? Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So we have this virtual retreat that we're doing just in time for Valentine's Day. Um, it's focused on it, – it's it's called a relationship retreat. And so obviously it's easy to do with a partner. You can also do it with a friend. Um, we also suggest if you want to do it with your workplace, that's fine. Um, and it relates to parenting too. So we're going to be discussing universal principles on how to communicate, how to understand yourself better, how to have better um, connection with people. So even though we're getting a lot of married couples who are signing up, that mm. tends to be the uh, – or partnerships. Right. Or, you know, that tends to be the the most. Um, what's what am I trying to say? The popular. High, the most. Yeah, the most popular. That's not right. The most common. Frequent. The most common and frequent signer uppers. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't matter. You can do it as an individual, and it's still going to um, be be helpful. And if you sign up. You can gift it to someone for free. Here's what I did. Okay, let me hear it. I sent it to my guy friends, uh-huh. and I said, listen, your wives, so I'm speaking to the guys who are listening, your wives need, uh, as much as they love flowers and candy, what most of them want is connection with their husbands. That's right. So this is an opportunity for you to connect uh, with your spouse, and um, it, you get as much into you get as much out of it as you get into it. So in other words, if you only have a few minutes a day that you can do it, do it just a few minutes a day. But if you really want to do some serious work on your relationship for a seven-day period, we give you the weekend off. Right. We'll give you plenty. I think it's six days, baby. Six days. We'll give you plenty of challenges and opportunities to work on your relationship with yourself and also with your spouse. Yeah, and the thing is, is it's again, it's virtual. All you need is email. Um, Todd and I do a podcast for every day, and it's a special podcast only for the retreat. So if you like this show, you'll enjoy the podcast. And um, we just basically say focus in on this thing and practice this today. And as you guys know, you can't change behaviors unless you practice different behaviors. And so like Todd said, if you if you really decide, to, okay, I'm going to invest and really get into this, you're going to come out with some new habits. How does somebody sign up for this retreat? Um, so you can do a number of things. You can go to my website, kathycadams.com, and you'll see along the side, um, it says events. And all you have to do is click right there on virtual retreat. You can also go to our Facebook page. We've posted it there a number of times. It'll be on our show notes for the show. Yep. Um, but I think the easiest way is Kathy C. Adams, or even on zenparentingradio.com, there's an events um, you can click there and you can get to it. And if all that fails, email us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. We'll send you a link. Okay. Okay. Personal responsibility. Yes. What about it? So personal responsibility. I was telling Todd earlier in the week that I was noticing that um, with my youngest daughter, who's six, I noticed that Todd and I both um, tend to do more for her than we did than we did with our other kids. Correct. And it it's not always clean cut or clear cut it's like hard for me to sometimes remember mm-hmm. what we did for the other girls around this age but i was beginning to notice and and it wasn't even visual it was i started to feel mm-hmm. like i was not doing her any favors um, I was starting to feel like we were making things too easy for her. And, and when I say that, I don't mean that we need to be more demanding of her or reprimand her more. What I mean is she would say, 
Will you zip up my coat? Sure. Um, will you help me clean my room? Sure. Will you make me something different for dinner? Sure. And I really started to feel like it was go- it was sliding in the wrong direction. Did you feel like you were being manipulated? No, no. I don't think anybody, I don't think a not child that, that age n- manipulates. Not that she has intention to do it. And I guess maybe that's a definition of Yeah, I don't like that word. No. But she was... You know, if we're going to do it for her, no reason for her to do it. Right. And and I know that you're saying this, but that's not manipulation. That's a child learning how to behave based mm-hmm. on how their parents respond. Right. They're not trying to hurt you and they don't have a plan of I'm going to hurt my parents. They ask the question and if we do it, then that's what they learn. Yeah. And I was recognizing that we were backsliding a lot of times because we were in a hurry yeah. or because we just didn't want to deal with an emotional breakdown or, you know, we're getting to that stage where our older daughters, we used to live in emotional breakdowns, and mm-hmm. that was so normal to us. Right. Um, but our older daughters don't ha- – they, they still have emotional experiences, but they've got a lot of tools to yeah. deal with it. So sometimes when Skylar is being six, which she should be, and has an emotional issue, we're kind of like, ugh, you know, whatever. Well, and our collective viewpoint of parenting is we've, uh, we kind of – try to treat them all the same mm-hmm. and they're not even close to being the same. Right. We have a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old and a 6-year-old. Right. So it's easy for us to forget, oh, 6-year-old, why don't why you just this... behave more like your sisters? Right. And that's easy to forget. It's easy to say that to yourself because the other two are acting more mature because they are. Right. And see, I was noticing that she was having an emotional experience and where we were recognizing that and knowing that it was normal, we were trying to like mop it up really quick. Mm. Like, well, okay, then I'll take you Mm. or okay, then we'll do this. We were kind of just trying to move through it quickly, which I inherently don't believe in. I I feel like, um, you know, they need to, if they're having an emotional experience that needs to be honored. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that they get out of doing what they were going to do. Kind of like going to Pints that night. Yeah. That, well... Yes. Do you want to tell that story or not? Well, and it, why that's a difficult one is I don't know if it's fully fair because it kind of goes back to what you're saying about treating all the kids differently. We had a full day where the kids were out of the house. All we day. were out of the house all day. And then on the way home, it was already 7 o'clock, and we told the girls that we had to stop by this party because a girlfriend of ours, it was her party and – you know, we have to stop by. I said we weren't going to be there long. Well, the older two can handle that because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, we get a piece of cake out of it or something. Yeah. The youngest one just, you know, she just wanted to be home. And she cried for 45 minutes yeah. in the car. Yeah. Usually her crying is five, 10 minutes. Yeah. And then she gets it out and then she's fine. She cried the entire time. Right. And we could have uh, just kind of said, you know what? She's melting down. Let's skip it. But we didn't. We right. brought her in. Now we did console well, her. I was going to say the whole thing, though, was. We're going to go in. It's going to be for a limited, limited time. We'll make sure we get you something to eat because a lot of it was I'm hungry. I just want to be home. So you're right. We kind of, There was kind of a tightrope walking there right. where we weren't going to change our plans. Right. But we also needed to you know, acknowledge that for a six-year-old, that's a long day. Well, and one thing that you, know, you and I play, make plenty of mistakes, but one thing that we don't mistake is very rarely do we – react emotionally like just get mad and angry Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of parents or even us as younger parents when we did it it was easier for us to kind of get down to their level and what i mean by that is you know she's reacting like a big pain in the butt so we're gonna come right back at her saying like be a six-year-old ourselves exactly we we yeah exactly we we work from a six-year-old's viewpoint which is ridiculous so we stay above it right and we're calm 
right. even though she's not. Correct. And it's very hard to do that. It is. And the, and the hard part is to know. I don't think that we, you and I or anybody else for that matter has exact information on how to deal with these situations, meaning I don't think you always say, well, we're going to go anyway, because sometimes it's just not going to work. But you always don't say, well, we're going to give up on this because you're crying. Right. There's like this middle ground. And another example I had where I was starting to recognize, and I wasn't recognizing, I was seeing it in my daughter, but I was just noticing myself, how I was responding really quickly and changing things. So it wasn't her fault. Like, that's the thing is like, I can't look and be like, she, you know, like you use the word manipulating. She's not manipulating me. She's not being any She's different. Being real. She's responding the way I am responding to her. Mm-hmm. So the other day, she, she and I were going to lunch and she said, I don't want to go to this place. And I said, well, you know what? This place has already been chosen. This is where we're going. And she started to get really upset. And I recognized in myself that I almost changed my mind, Mm -hmm. meaning I almost said, well, then where do you want to go? And I almost gave that ownership to my daughter. And I'm sure we've done that in the past. But this time you weren't going to do it. But I was like, you know what? We're not going to do that. But like Todd said, they don't need to be reprimanded. They don't need to have a timeout. There's just a sense of, honey, I hear you, but this is where we're going. And even as she was getting out of the car, she was crying. As she was walking in, she's like, I don't like anything here. And we we went in, and when we when we got in there, <coughs> sorry, cough button, she quieted down. Mm-hmm. And when we sat down, she kind of was breathing and relaxed and started coloring and pulled it together. She slowly brought it back together. Now, the key there, though, can you do a cough button because I have to cough? Sing a song. <laughs> the sun will come out tomorrow. Okay, there we go. I got Bet it. your okay, bottom dollar that tomorrow. Okay, I'm back. Oh, sorry. Okay, but good cover for Thank me. you. The thing that's important in that moment that's the hardest work, I feel like, is when she started to recover and feel okay about being there, that I didn't go into a big I told you so thing. I didn't go into a I can't believe you acted that way. Why did you act that way? And I didn't say, see, I told you you would like it. That's ego. That's saying, see how I win and see how I always know better than you. I didn't say a word about that. I didn't say a word about, oh, you know, I think when we left, I said something like, I enjoyed that lunch with you. And she, you know, and I I don't even remember what she said. It doesn't mean we can't focus on the fact that we just did that together. But there was no, there was no being offended and needing to win. It is so hard to do what you just explained. Why, though? I don't know, but something as silly as this morning, same six-year-old, said, will you zip up my coat? I know this kid knows how to zip up her coat. Right, but we've been doing it for her lately. I know. She's got into a habit of asking us to do it. And we've done it. Yeah. So she zipped it up, and I wanted to say, <laughs> see, I told you you could do it. Right. And that, I know that manifests into more neediness Well, instead of... Either not acknowledging it or just say good job or whatever it is. Just acceptance. Just like, okay, like she zipped it up and it got a little stuck. And I said, okay, I'll help with that part. Because what I wanted her to understand, and I think I even got down to her level and said this today when she was zipping up her coat or wanted us to. Honey, we don't do you a service when we zip up your coat for you because this is something you were able to do a year ago. Mm -hmm. If you run into a a hard time with it or it gets stuck or something, we're happy to support you. But it doesn't help. And again, she's not sitting there like a 30-year-old saying, oh, yes, mother, I understand. She's kind of like, you know, looking around. But I want her to understand it's not like we're trying to make her life more difficult. We have thought this through and there is an awareness of this is your responsibility. You know, just like cleaning her room. I will help you, but you've got to go get started. This is your responsibility. But this is a very, 
like I said, it's a tightrope walk because, you know, at the same time, sometimes kids, when they clean their room, they don't know where to start. They don't have a sense of organization. Well, and to your point, it is, uh, it's so easy to look at a messy room in the, in the eyes of a 41 year old. Yes. Oh, clean it up. First you, you know, my brain says, we'll get the big stuff off the floor and then start hanging it up. I, I, I cannot appreciate what a messy room looks like to a six-year-old, yes. but I'm guessing, like even me as a 41-year-old, be like, God, this job sucks. I don't even know where to start. Exactly. It's that to the 10th for yeah. a six-year-old brain. And some kids are different. Some kids have a better sense of organization. Like our oldest daughter sees things. She knows how to organize things. It's like she, it's always been very clear to her. Where our other two, it's not that they're slobs. It's just they don't see the same way she does. So sometimes when we'll say, well, your older sister can clean up, why can't you? They don't have the same skill set. And so sometimes they need support in getting started. And that's why I think the the key to this discussion or the two keys is we don't have to make this a disciplinary punishment kind of thing. And we don't have to then, when they do it, show them how right we were the whole time. Mm -hmm. So the things we want to leave out of the process are, number one, making them feel shamed about it, and then number two, showing them why they were so stupid in the first place. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm saying don't do those things. Right. so that's what I wanted to talk about because you and I are struggling in that area right now where we're really trying to be aware right. of making sure that, of course, we help listen and support our daughter, but at the same time not go over the edge and do things for her, mm-hmm. which is where this blog fit perfectly. Okay. So do you want to talk about the blog? Sure. Did but you want me to start? Or? I do, but, but first I want to talk about Tree of Life Chiropractic okay. Care. They're okay. our second partner. Uh, Dr. Kelly adjusts us and our backbones every week. And uh, their number is... Oh, my gosh. Todd does this thing where he licks his fingers to turn pages, and it drives me crazy. You can't hear that. It's just gross. I can hear it in my earphones. 630-941-8733. If you live in the Chicagoland area and you're interested in quality chiropractic care by Dr. Kelly, uh, give her a call at 630-941-8733. Healthy families by choice. Not by chance. Not by chance. And I want to say one more thing about the why. You know, like you said, it's very difficult for people to not say I told you so in Mm -hmm. some way, shape, or form. Why is that not a good idea? Is because what we're doing is we're coming at them with defense, you know, with protection of... um, Like we're being defensive. We're being defensive. Like we're putting them on the defensive. Exactly. If we come at them with that kind of thing, that's what they're going to come at us with. Mm -hmm. If we can give them, because here's the thing, I'm not going to go over my whole lunch with her, but she calmed down so quickly. She was so able to engage with me. There was no disruption. There was no sense of of her wanting to battle me or be mad at me. It really, really um, dissipated quickly. And that's because nobody was like, I'm right, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. There was a sense of... I see what's happening with you. We're still going to go in, Mm -hmm. but I accept you as you are. Let's go. And even though you're right, when you're impatient or running out the door, these are difficult things to do, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't practice it or recognize why it's a challenge. Okay? Good job. Thank you. Let's talk about this blog. Seven crippling parenting behaviors that keep children from growing into leaders. Right. This is right in our wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, it's good. And I, I saw this um, floating around Facebook. It's been, I think it came from Forbes magazine, which I think a lot of people tend to take as a very reputable magazine. Right. Um, and so business these leaders. Business and leaders. Stuff. And the person who wrote um, the article. Kathy with a K. 
Kathy with a K, she actually used um, information from expert uh, Dr. Tim Elmore. And you were reading about Tim Elmore. Was there anything you wanted to share? No, I just was oh. interested in some of the books that he's read. So he was, I was just checking it out. So these actually come from him. Um, I think, yeah, Tim had, it says Tim shared these seven damaging parenting behaviors that keep children from becoming leaders. And so he's focusing on leadership. But as Todd and I were reading it over, we really think a huge part of leadership is personal responsibility. So these kind of blend together. Uh, Number one, we don't let our children experience risk. Huge. That's a big one. Yeah. We've insulated them from healthy risk-taking behavior. That's the difference, is knowing the difference between healthy risk-taking and unhealthy risk-taking. Unhealthy risk-taking is letting your kids dodge cars in the middle of North Avenue. Or go sketching. Well, sketching is fun. But it's still not good. I know. That's crazy. I went sketching a lot when I was little. For those of you who don't know what sketching is, in the wintertime in Chicago and every other place that has snow, you hold on to the back of a car and it takes you for a ride. And sometimes you know the people and sometimes you don't. So you just jump on. You just jump on. I know. And it was so much fun and so scary. And so dangerous. And so dangerous. I know. And I did it a lot. I know. Okay. So that's... If I saw my kids doing that, I would freak. I know. Well, and here's the thing. I, you know, the we don't let our kids take risks. I feel like we as parents get inundated with things like new information about don't let your kid go here, don't let them try this, don't let them do this, don't let them eat this, don't let them whatever. And everybody will always say, you know, you got to keep your kids safe. That's a really overwhelming, mm-hmm. considering the amount of um, conflicting information we get, considering the amount of information um, that we don't really have control over. It's it's overwhelming. And I think that's when we have to go back. Instead of looking at news reports, we have to go back to our gut and what feels right for us. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are some things that we get involved in that have nothing to do with us. Like people have told me, you know, this was a couple years ago, but a friend who her child was going to try out for um, some kind of sporting team, I think it was actually a track team. And she kept telling her daughter, but you're not fast enough. You're never going to make it because mm-hmm. all these other kids are faster than you, blah, 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 blah. Don't get involved in let that. Them, let them try. If they want to try, let them try. They may not make it, but that's an experience that they need to have in their life. That's a risk that they it's worth taking. We did a show called Why Failure is a Good Thing. Yeah. And it's zenparentingradio.com slash 147-2. So that was all about failure. Failure. So listen to that if you're interested. We'll even put it in the show notes also. But this is the visual I get when it comes to uh, understanding the difference between healthy risk and not healthy risk. Um, kids trying to go rollerblading for the first time or on his bike or her mm-hmm. bike, whatever, you can put a helmet on and you can put knee pads on and elbow pads and do all these other things. Um, and I'm all about helmets. Right. You know, you get your head squashed like a melon. That's not good. But if you fall off your bike and you scrape your knee, it's okay. that's okay. So um, there's a balance even within how you teach your kid how to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with um, your kids scratching their knee. Like I think a lot of parents, helicopter parents, try to keep them from ever getting getting Mm -hmm. any germs or whatever it is keep them away from anything bad that can happen and how what a disservice that is well and the thing is is that kids who have scraped their knee enough you know like we've got an old old enough kids where they scrape their knee now and it's no big deal Mm -hmm. and that's because they learned how to deal with it and it's no big deal they may have a few tears over it but they're the ones who go to the bathroom on their own and get Mm -hmm. their band-aid and Mm -hmm. they know what to do Mm -hmm. and if your kids go through life uh, you know wrapped in bubble wrap and i mean that metaphorically then they don't know how to deal with that experience and that's everything in life um and 
this is again, as was, you know, we were talking in the beginning, it's a very, it's an interesting balance and it's a difficult walk and you have to take everything in the moment rather than take on a um, kind of, this is how I do things. You can't just have a, you know, a motto or you can't make decisions before they occur. You have to take everything in the moment and make a gut-based decision on what's best for them. Well, as long as we're talking about scraped knees, the one thing that drives you and I crazy is when parents, when we observe parents after their kid scrapes their knee or hurts themselves in the baseball diamond, and what do the parents say? You're fine, you're fine, you're fine. You're fine, fine, get up. Uh Uh-huh. And we're not saying that either. No, no. If they scrape their knee, ouch, ouch, you love them, you support them, you say that stinks, you know, what can I do to help you? That it doesn't mean that you you know you disregard you tell them to get up and not feel their feelings and you don't baby them and coddle them you just say ouch mm-hmm. that looked like it hurt mm-hmm. and you give them a hug or say how can I help you you know there is again people the reason why th- that I wanted to talk about these these things is because people take these two extremes mm-hmm. and then when you say oh you know. The, we got to use some common sense with these things. You don't, when a kid falls down, say, oh, you're fine, get up, wipe it off. But you also don't say, I'm never going to let you get on that bike again. Right. There's a middle ground. So, Well, when the, and when the dad says, you're all right, they're not all right. You right. want to know how I know they're not all right? Because they're crying. Because they're crying and they're bleeding. Right. They're not all right. That doesn't mean they're going to die. Uh-uh. That just means that something hurts. So anyways. And you are not making them tougher by having them disregard their feelings. You're actually having, having them be more self-aware by validating what they're feeling. And then they can, you know, brush it off and get back up. Mm-hmm. And you say, yeah, those things happen. We fall down. But you know what? You can get back up and do it again. So this lends itself very nicely into number two. We, we, oh. we rescue too quickly. Yes. What's that all about? Well, I think it's it's very similar to we we jump in when our child is struggling without letting them deal with it on their own. Um, you know, you're talking about hel- helicopter parents, and that's terminology that came around about 10 or 12 years ago to focus on those parents that get way too heavily invested and hover around mm-hmm. their children and do everything for them. And that terminology still is around because there's plenty, plenty of parents who still do that. Um, we rescue before they – we don't give them an opportunity to solve their own dilemma. Right. Um, for example, you know, in school, your child is struggling with something and you call the teacher and say, and again, every once in a while, if your, your child is really struggling, it's good to communicate with the teacher. Remember, use common sense, but you don't jump in and tell the teacher how they're giving your kid too much homework and how, you know, you'll, it, it, you, you can see what they can do at school. You can go in and say, talk to the teacher, see what you can do rather than you becoming the advocate in that situation. Well, my example, it has to do with homework. Okay. Is a lot of times our um, fifth grader or third grader will say, um, I need help. And they won't even start right. trying. Right. It drives me nuts. I said, no, do as much as you can. And then after that, then I can try to help you out a little bit. But many times they will just take the path of least resistance and look at it for a second and say, oh, I don't know how to do this. I'll get dad's help. So as long as I'm patient and I'm in a place where I can be the dad I want to be, I'll say, no, I'm not going to help you. I want you to try to figure this out for yourself. And if after that, then I'll help you. Read the directions, give it a shot, and then give me a call if you can't do it. Right. Because that's the thing is you don't need to shame them. Mm. You don't need to say, you can do it. You can just say, you got to do your due diligence first, Mm -hmm. and then I will come in and support you. And, you know, it's the same thing I was just saying, you know, to not be the advocate for your child at school. I don't really mean that literally. What I mean is that have your child take some steps first. If they get stuck along the way, then they may need some adult intervention or they may need you to talk with the teacher. 
or, you know, it's not just about school. It's about anything. You know, they want to try out for a play. You don't don't jump in there and call the person and tell them all about your child, um, which I've heard has been done. Mm-hmm. Have your child go and try out. Yeah. It's their thing. It's not your thing. Or that could be with sports. Or And sometimes we – or our child comes to us. Here's a really simple one. Our children come to us and they say, I'm struggling with so-and-so. And instead of us giving – our advice and telling them what to do, we can say, well, what do you think? What do you, yeah, what are you going to do about what that? What are you going to do? We don't need to solve all their problems. We do need to be available to listen and to maybe reflect back. But it's very similar to, you know, we we're talking about how the way men and women talk to each other. Sometimes your children just need you to listen and ask their opinion about it. Right. Because they usually have some pretty good uh, we got to give them the opportunity to come to solve the problem. Yes, yes. Number three, we rave too easily. Yeah. And that's about uh, everybody gets a trophy. Yeah, and, yeah. And I feel like we talked about that. But Two I, shows we've talked about that. I couldn't find which one Oh, it is. really? So anyways, and we kind of, we are not trophy parents or non-trophy parents. Yeah. Once again, we're somewhere in the middle. But It doesn't bother me. Right. Um, so basically, this just talks about, you know, you rave too easily and you disregard your poor, beha- poor behavior and you're basically just looking at your kid as if it everything your kid does is perfect. And that's the common sense one with this one is because there was a book that was written um, a while ago by Pope Bronson, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Do you remember the one I'm talking about where he talked about not complimenting your children too much? We talked about it in our blog. We did. I remember the author, but I'm forgetting the name. Um, I can see the cover. It's got an egg on it. Anyway. Look for the the book that has an egg <laughs> on it, and then you can find it. All you have it. to do is look up Poe Bronson, and you'll find it. But What's his first name? Poe, P-O. But what he talked about was that this kind of thing, like we rave too easy or you know, we give our kids too many compliments. But what it really ended up doing to a lot of parents was they would stop complimenting their kids at all, thinking that they were hurting them. Mm -hmm. And we have to find that place again in the middle. Nurture shock. Nurture shock. Thank you. Where you recognize that, no, it's not worthwhile to tell your children lies. If your child is singing, you don't say to them, you are the best singer in the whole world. No one's better than you. But you can say, how does singing make you feel? It makes you feel great? Hey, keep on singing. You know, you can support it without lying to them about it. Or simple things like if your children bring in their plates, there's nothing wrong with saying thank you for bringing in your plates instead of, well, I expect it from you. Mm -hmm. Or saying Great job. Way to bring your plate plate in. Yeah, you don't have to go overboard. Just say thanks. Thanks for doing that. But I think when that book came out, we got really hyper-conscious of complimenting our kids, and there's nothing wrong with complimenting your kids. Mm. It's just you don't want to do it in a way that gives them a false sense of who they are. That you know they are special, but they're not more special than anybody else. They are good at what they do, but it doesn't mean that they have to beat out everybody else. You know, it's not about competition; it's just about self worth. Number four, we let guilt get in the way of leading well. What's yeah. this all about? Well, I think it's the, the idea that we don't like to tell our children no, and we feel guilty if we don't provide them with everything they say they need. And I think we get confused that we're supposed to give our kids everything they want. I am really good at this and really bad at this. Mm-hmm. And I'm really good at it because there's times when I'm just in kind of a bad mood and, <laughs> and I love saying no to them. You get like a, hey, a, can I a have, rush. Can I have an ice cream cone? No. <laughs> How about a treat after dinner? No. Like I'm just in that mood. But there's other times when I'm in a really good mood. Uh-huh. I'll be like, sure, let's do that. 
and I totally give them everything they want. Right. Well, and I think, you know, I think we all can say we do that, you know, if we're like having one of those nights. You know, you and I, we find like the craziest reasons to celebrate, you know, where we'll be like, hey. It's Monday. It's Monday. It's four o'clock. Let's, you know, we. Last night you let them have popcorn on their bed. I know. I did. That's and a never. You've you, never done that. You know what? You want to know why I did that? What? Because I wanted to watch my movie. Mm. There was selfishness in that. And I don't mean like self-awareness. I mean, selfishness. Like I wanted them to stay where they were and I did tell them they could have popcorn. So I laid down a bunch of towels Mm -hmm. and I told JC that she had to keep it on her. You know, we made some rules around it. But yeah, that was not a typical move for Kathy. Now they might expect it next time. Well, they're, you know, and those are the things that I created that. Here's the thing. I created that. So the next time they ask, I'm not going to get mad at them for asking. And I'm not going to say, you ungrateful kids, you know the rule because I broke the rule. Mm. And so I would say to them, you know what? I did I did that that one time, but we're not going to do that anymore. There were some extenuating circumstances, you know. Namely, you wanted to watch I wanted movie. to watch my movie. Uh, do you want to say anything more before we move on? Well, I think that we have to understand that you don't need to give your kids just because they want it doesn't mean that you're going to give it. And Mm -hmm. there's no reason to feel guilty about saying no if something is not at the best interest of your child. And you know what? You have to practice this for yourself. Mm -hmm. If you can learn how to say no to things that you know aren't good for you, meaning someone asks you to be in charge of something, you don't want to do it, you can say, no, that doesn't work for me. Then you can practice that with your own kids rather than think that their love is based on you saying yes all the time because children feel safer when they have boundaries and limits. And that's that's that. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Number five. What? Oh, you're right, honey. Go ahead. We don't share our past mistakes. I think we do fine with this. (laughs) Yeah, you and I are really good at this. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about our mistakes all the time. Um, But not not every parent does. Yeah. Be be brave. Be courageous. Tell your – see, sometimes I struggle with this when – if they're asking about, well, dad, did you ever sketch or dad, did you ever smoke cigarettes or dad, did you ever drink before 21? Like we haven't gotten those questions yet. But I was going to say no one's asked me that But yet. we're going to? Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to say. Well – I don't, I, you know, I don't have an answer because I don't know exactly how it'll be asked or under what context. Mm. So I don't know how to, and I don't know how old they'll be. Mm. You know, there's so many variables. Yeah. I can't really comment on it. But what I will say is, is where our kids are now, I'm very, I'm honest about the grades I got. I'm honest about test scores that I was challenged by. I'm honest about things that, you know, teams I didn't make mm. or um, times that I struggled or issues I had with friends. I'm very forthcoming because I think all anybody wants is normalized. Yeah. Uh, they want things normalized. And if they hear that their parents struggled with something too, there's that sense of fear that they have or that sense of I'm different than everybody kind of dissipates. Right. And it's not like I'm making up stories. I'm telling them the truth about my life. Because we all make mistakes. That's right. So, and, and sometimes it's not just a mistake. It's that you didn't, you know, I was on B3 rather than A1. I still can't believe you had that many teams. <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about that on the show, right? Yes, but nobody remembers. Well, that there was a basketball team when I was in sixth grade and so many girls tried out for it that there was A1, A2, B1, B2, B3, and B4. And I was on B3. Uh, <laughs> did you know anybody who was on B4? Yeah. What was her I name? I did. I, well, I'm not going to say because she say might listen. <clears throat> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> now, Manisha, we didn't go to middle school together. Oh, was it? Manisha went to a different middle oh, school. Oh, sorry. Um, so, but regardless, <laughs> the, you, can, you can share the pieces of you that maybe aren't the most most uh, fuzzy and beautiful because it, you know, it's called being human. Got it. Uh Uh, Number six. We make, no, we mistake intelligence, giftedness, 
and influence for maturity. Huge. What does this mean? Well, basically what we do is if a child is smart in one area of their life, especially test smart, Mm -hmm. you know, like they speak, you know, they speak really well or they read really difficult books or, you know, they love to do science projects and they excel, we all of a sudden assume that they are an older age than they are. Like Doogie Howser. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. I didn't watch Doogie enough. You didn't? I watched it, but it's been so long. Why didn't you watch Doogie Howser? Um, well, I like him now a lot. I know. He's a good uh, actor He's and good at singer everything. and dancer. I know. I love him. But what we do is we mistake intelligence for maturity. And I will, I will ask you to be more specific with intelligence, book intelligence. We mistake intelligence on paper, Mm -hmm. meaning, like you said, book intelligence, test-taking intelligence, grades for emotional maturity. Just because a child does well in school and speaks very, uh, you know, articulately, is that a word? Yes. In an articulate fashion, doesn't mean that their emotional maturity is any higher than their age. And what we'll do is if a kid is really responsible and does really well at certain things, we start to treat them or demand certain things of them that emotionally they're not ready for. Well, and I'll get on my soapbox for a second here. And we've talked about this on the show many times, but it warrants repeating we are much more invested in the emotional intelligence of our three daughters than we are in the academic intelligence of our three daughters. That doesn't mean we blow school off, but it takes a backseat to their emotional intelligence. And I think if every parent did it the way we did it, we'd be much better off because there's times when I think, well, I should be cracking the whip harder on JC studying for tests and all that. I know for sure that her academics would be worse if I applied more pressure to her academics than supporting but not judging. Right. And that's always – that's a day-to-day decision-making thing too. You know, when Todd says we focus more on emotional intelligence, it's not that that is this overriding thing. It's that in every moment when we're making a decision, we're focusing more on how this will affect her as a human being, looking at the big picture, um, is, you know, why are we so invested in this test score, whatever, and really kind of breaking that down so we can make a decision that's best for her as a human being Mm -hmm. rather than we're making decisions based on she needs to get an A. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's a bigger picture there. Well, and one of our kids came home with a really good, whatever it's called, the the standardized test. And I kind of didn't, uh, my egoic part of me wanted to say, oh, great job. I'm so proud of you, all that other stuff. And I didn't really say anything. I said, I heard you did well. I'm glad you did. And that's it. I, like, I didn't make it into a big deal at all. And that's the thing is that you can, of course, acknowledge. I mean, I gave her a hug and said, that's great. I, how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. How does that feel for you? That feels great. For you. How does that feel for you? How does it? Because if you make that a huge deal, then when she doesn't come home with a great test, then does she not get the same right. affection? And, yes. and so it's, again, it doesn't mean that, you know, Todd, you in the past, you don't do this anymore, but you would want to play it down so much you didn't care at all. Mm. And that's not good either. You right. want to acknowledge her hard work. Mm-hmm. You want to say, wow, that's great. Good mm-hmm. for you. How do you feel about that? Um, but then not make it the reason that we all go out to dinner and she gets, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to make too much out of it because it's one test. Um, but anyway, I think that I don't remember which, what the title of the, last but not least, are we done? Uh, we don't practice what we preach. Yeah. And that is basically the whole basis of our whole show. So I don't really feel like we need to talk about no, it. No, we have to be aware of our choices. You know, I just read this blog today um, about kindness, about girls and kindness and how a lot of times, you know, not a lot of times, they learn kindness by watching 
what's going on at home. And a lot of times if they don't experience or don't notice um, kindness around them, then it's hard for them to make those choices. And that's not a you know, it's not like a blame thing. Like if you have a child who's struggling with kindness, it's all your fault because she may be going through other things outside mm-hmm. of your home. Right. But, it, you know, the thing that you do have control over is if you want your child to make good choices in the area of friendships or the way they talk about other people, then you have to talk kindly about people too. Right. We can't ask them to be these... It's not a don't do what I say, don't do what I say, do what I do, whatever. you know. It's do as I do, not as I say. Right. That's what they experience. Right. Even though we'd like to say, do as I say, not as I do. Um, so I want to go to a question that one of our listeners has okay. asked. Okay. Um, so we're done with this blog. You okay, okay with that? Sure. Um, the only other thing I want to say before I talk about this person's question is Avid Company is our third partner. Yes, we love them. Uh, 630-956-1800. He's actually putting some flooring down for me. I want him to repaint our house. In the next week, he's not going to repaint our, our house. Our house has the dirt on I'm, the walls. I'm working on it. Okay. So, Are you? No. Okay. <laughs> but no, we're not going to have our walls painted. Soon. When will then be now? <laughs> so we have a listener and her name is Satpal. Okay. S-A-T-P-A-L. Hi, guys. You know how often you how often you say you don't want robots? Getting out the door in the morning has been super challenging lately. I have to admit in the morning, I want robots. Yeah. I want them to just get ready for school, to brush their teeth, and ask after I ask them the first time. Do you have any tips for getting everyone to school on time with minimal stress? Maybe if it isn't asking too much with a smidgen of joy. I don't want to feel like a drill sergeant. Yeah. What do you what do you got for us? Well, I think there's a few things. I think that the first thing we need to do is recognize our role in the situation and take responsibility for what we bring, meaning are we getting up on time? Are we ready to go so we're not um, cuz sometimes I find that we're running late because I get up a little later so I'm still blow drying my hair when the girls want to eat and that's my responsibility, you know? So that's something I can shift. So the first thing we got to do is is notice and recognize what we're doing. If all that's in order and we're like, no, I'm up and I'm ready to go and we still can't get out the door, then we need to talk to them not in the height of the situation, but maybe the night before, the day before, or on the weekend even, talk about what we want to do in the morning and how we want to make the mornings more joyful. Use the word. I, you know, When I'm getting out the door at the girls, I want to feel good. I want to start the day on a good note. And I will say to them, sometimes when I find myself being like, girls, come on. When I get in the car, I'll say, girls, I don't want to yell at you first thing in the morning. It doesn't feel good to me. I know it doesn't feel good to you. Let's find another way. And get them involved in finding another way. Um, Because here's the thing, as I know she's joking around, um, I emailed with her a little bit about this, um, you know, about saying I really do want robots. They're human beings. They're not going to be the same every day, nor are we. So there's no way we can set up a rigid schedule that's going to go according to plan every day. There's going to be times when we are a little late, and we have to accept that human component. Um, And there are going to be times when our kids are struggling to get ready because maybe they don't feel great. Maybe they're nervous about a test. Like we have to be compassionate rather than, like she said, a drill sergeant. Um, But I really feel like there's some prep work you have to do. Like one of our daughters a while ago, um, this is the beginning of the year, every morning she'd come down and be like, I don't know what to wear. And so we made a plan. You got to pull out what you're going to wear the night before. Really simple things like that. And that shaved like seven minutes off of her getting ready time. Um, And now that's become habitual for her. But when we discuss this, don't try and talk about it in the heat of the moment. The heat of the moment? You know what I mean? I do. Are you going to sing an Asia song? I do want to sing it. 
but I don't remember how it starts. I do, but I'm not going to sing it for you. you can, um, why don't you pull it up? I might pull it up, but um, I have two very practical solutions. Okay, let's hear. Wake up earlier. Uh-huh. That sounds very uh, simple and like, well, of course, you know, but we did that and it helped out a lot. Right. Just wake up 10 minutes earlier. Yeah. Just like- It took some stress out of our morning. Give yourself a trick, like, you know, set your clocks ahead, do something. But just sometimes we think that everything is supposed to fit together so nicely. Just give yourself, and if if you wake up 10 minutes earlier and then all of a sudden everybody's ready 10 minutes before, who cares? Yeah, great. It's all good. Um, and then the second thing is- We might have to close with this song. Well, um, I have one more practical okay. solution. Um, start your um, start your uh, day by uh, playing a song for him. Mm-hmm. Todd do does that, that. Mm-hmm. on my phone. I pull up a song. I even asked Cameron the night before, "What song do you want to wake up to?" And she tells me. And I don't, Todd does that and he, and he actually plays music while they're eating breakfast. The, the house is very calm while they're getting ready. But I try on the way, because I drop them off every day, we listen to music in the car or I'm, and this is my work, I get, I'm in a silly mood in the car and I'm singing or I'm like, tell me something girls or, you know, who's that? You know, when we're passing people on the road, when they're walking to school, like I try and engage with them and not be so, because we got to get clear about why we're so stressed out. What are we worried about? Are we worried they're... We're going to, you know, be late for something, then we need to leave earlier. Are we worried that, you know, the principal is going to get mad, then we need to let the kids know that it's their responsibility to get to school on time. And if they are late, then they're going to have to go talk to their teacher about why they're late. You know, I would really um, recommend listening to the show that we did with Dr. Shafali about that a lot of the issues that we have with our kids, we're just worried about how we're going to look. And um, if we really say, you know, I just said to Skylar on Thursday, if you um, if you do not finish what you're doing, then we will go to school with you dressed like that. And I wasn't mean. I just said that's kind of the way it is. Yeah. If you're not going to get dressed, then we have to leave. Natural consequences. Natural consequences. I don't need to you know, hold you up and shame you about it. I'm just, if you can't put those Would on. Would you have really let her go to school in her PJs? You know, or was that a false threat? You know what, Todd? I'd never get to that point. Because when I said, we're going to have to go like that, when I said it to her, I meant it, but I have never taken them to school in their pajamas. And really the truth is with someone with my daughter's age that young, their pajamas look like clothes anyway. I think when the kids are older and you know, it's My pajamas look just like my clothes. Yeah. Well, you sleep in your clothes. Last night you slept in a collared shirt. (laughs) You fell asleep and I rolled over and I like kind of put my arm around you and I laughed to myself because you had a collared shirt on. Was it a nice one? I don't know. Oh. Why are you sleeping in your clothes? I don't know. Why, so why are you sleeping in your clothes? I don't. I oh. sleep in pajamas. Oh. But anyway, with with the kids, I Carol don't. Brady pajamas. No, not like Carol. We're running late, by the way. Well, but, uh, one more thing. Do you want you, me to interrupt you again? No. You were saying about threats. I if I'm going to say something to them, I have to be willing to follow through. I haven't had to do that yet. But if she could not get in the car, we'd have to put her boots on and go. Right. And then there's a learning from that experience. But I got to be honest, we've never gotten that far because right. when I say that, she goes up. Um, two promotional things, Yeah, virtual retreat uh-huh. for couples. So, uh, work on your relationship alongside with you and I, with Kathy and I, uh-huh. starting February 5th. And you have two books called the self-aware parent part one, part two. Yep. Uh, it's in our show notes and it's also on your webpage, which is kathycadams.com. Um, so. And we would scream together.
I think we're just going to end the show with this. Yeah, and you guys should be able to see this on iTunes, but if for some crazy reason you don't, it'll be up there soon. And otherwise, go to ZenParentingRadio.com and you'll find all of our shows. We haven't missed one yet. And I'll put you to the moment in the show notes, too. I'll put the video in there. Yes. Remember the, remember the video with the squares? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's got the squares. Yeah, isn't that, was that that one? Wasn't that the other Asia song? Don't Cry? No, there was another one. Maybe it was Don't Cry. Okay. Adios, everybody. Uh, adios. Have a good day. Catch a pull and ride the dragon's wings Cause it's the heat of the moment The heat of the moment